This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin, And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleh Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take D.C. on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Your holster is way more important than you think it is. It's just way more important than you think it is. What, look, and I get that. The holster's not the sexy part of carrying firearms, right? You want to talk about your weapon and your ammunition. You, you want to talk about your safety training. You want to talk about how you did at the range. Oh, look at my groups. I was doing these failure drills today. And all that stuff's really important. I mean, really, really important. I'm not discounting that. But I've known so many people who do all those things. They take all the necessary steps, and then they carry with a holster they bought from a big box hunting store that was made a thousand at a time. Please, don't put your life in one of those holsters. You need to trust Northwest Retention Systems because it's all custom-made gear. It's the only thing I carry around. nwretention.com. That's nwretention.com. Use the promo code JESSE. Get you 10% off. This is The Jesse Kelly Show. What would it be like to have somebody drive nails into your head? Talk about that in our history story today. We have somebody coming on today to give us the skinny on the stock market. We're going to talk about the death of standards in America. It's everywhere in our society, and it's going to kill us if we don't turn it around. 
the public health, what that means, what they'll do with it. We have all kinds of stuff today. But first, let us begin with one of my favorite history subjects of all time. Maybe my favorite. I think I've even done a show on him before. If not, just guess what? I'm going to do another one at some point on top of today's. His name was Vlad, also known as Vlad the Impaler, also known as Vlad Dracula. Yes, that's right. Bram Stoker's Dracula, the one you've seen a thousand movies about, maybe even read a book if you're a nerd. He was created after this man. Now, let's just get something out of the way right away. This is not not the kindest human being. I was about to say not the best human being, but I'll tell you what. I like the story because it's awesome. But there's a ton of cruelty, a ton of death. And you're going to have to make your own decision as we weave through his story today, whether you think he was good or bad. Now, you're not going to think he's nice. That, that's, that's, that's not going to happen. I promise you that. But, well, let us begin and you make your own judgment on Vlad the Impaler. First, why is he called Dracula. Vlad Dracula, because Dracula means in Romanian son of the dragon. Yes, his father was Vlad Dracul. They are from a place called Wallachia or Wallachia, depending on where you went to college. But uh, uh, I, most people call it Wallachia. I'd be lying to you if I said I know how to pronounce it. It starts with a W. We're going to call it Wallachia today. Don't worry about trying to find it on a map. It won't be there. It's somewhere in Romania. But you need to know this is in the 1400s. And here is the situation. You know that peanut butter and jelly sandwich you have? Well, you got those two big pieces of bread, right? Got a big old slice of bread on top and a big old slice of bread on the bottom. And then you got your delicious peanut butter and jelly in the middle. Wallachia was the peanut butter and jelly. Hungary was a very, very powerful Christian, that's going to come into play, European Empire on one side of Wallachia, and the Ottoman Empire, probably the most powerful empire on earth at this time, they were on the other side of Wallachia. Wallachia was sandwiched between them, and as such, the Hungarians and the Ottomans were always trying to get Wallachia on their side. Now, they weren't trying to win them over friendly. They were trying to stick their nose in Wallachia's politics to make sure their man was on the throne. Hungary wanted a guy loyal to Hungary on the throne. The Ottomans wanted a guy loyal to the Ottomans on the throne. And it actually got worse inside. Because when you have powerful forces, tell me if this sounds familiar, when you have powerful, wealthy outside forces deeply invested in your politics, it can rip a country apart from the inside. 
They're wealthy nobles. You see, when you were head of Wallachia, you weren't even really king. I'm going to call him king today, but believe me, that's not fair. You were the man in charge, but there were wealthy nobles. There was foreign intrigue. There were all kinds of things. The nobles would, depending on who was paying the most at the time, decide they're kind of done with this king, and then they're kind of done with that king. Let me just tell you the average span of reign for a king at this point in time was two years. They come and they go. They're assassinated or they're run out of town. Vlad's father, Vlad Dracul, the older, remember, that's the father. He is constantly having to play this game as well. And I'm not going to talk about his life. I actually probably could, but long story short, he has a few sons. He takes two of his sons, including Vlad, our boy Vlad, and his brother, Radul. Don't worry about memorizing Radul. Don't worry about that. They are beckoned to the Ottoman Empire. The Sultan of the Ottoman Empire says, come on down and see me. Now, remember, we always talk about there are different degrees of kings and monarchs. There's the all-powerful God King, and then the guy who's there, he's powerful, but, I mean, they can oust him, and then there's the guy who's scared of the people. In the Ottoman Empire, the Sultan is God King. He's the head of the military. He's the head of their religion. He is the King King. What the Sultan says goes. Sultan, very powerful man, tells Vlad, the older, come on down, Bring a couple sons with you when you come on down. We're just going to have a chat. That's all. We're just going to chat. Brings him in. Says, yeah, about that chat thing. You're going to be loyal to me now. And your sons are staying here. A hostage situation. Hostage situation can bring up some really negative images in your mind. You should set that aside Historically, this was very, very, very common. You see, the sultan, yes, he wanted the sons to stay there. And he it was known, it was just an open thing, because I'm going to murder and maybe torture first your sons if you're disloyal to me, Vlad. However, I don't want you to think these sons were kept in a dungeon in chains with a knife to their throat. You see, the sultan, he had a plan, and this is very common in the hostage situations in the day. He was going to raise these boys right, raise them well, and one day he was going to place one of these boys on the throne of Wallachia so he could have a loyal subject who he had raised on the throne. Now, let's pause there for a brief moment. There's always religious tension in the world. We don't live in the only period of time where Christians are fighting Muslims, are fighting Jews, are fighting. This is the history of the world, religions competing with each other. So I don't want to pretend as if the 1400s were unique. However, they were a little different than what you and I are used to. Whole nations were considered Christian, Ottoman Empire considered Muslim, and they would clash a lot, huge armies going at each other in the name of God. It was not a small thing, and Christian Europe was horrified 
of this Ottoman storm that had risen so fast. The Ottomans had come almost out of nowhere. And they have this modern army, and they are really, really, really good and really powerful and, frankly, more powerful than any individual nation in Europe. The European nations have to band together. And people at this time, it was very common to think, they're going to try to wipe out my God, my religion. These, the way they thought at the time were these Muslim pagans were coming to take everything from me and they were looking for a hero. Oh, they were going to find an interesting one. The death of standards and we'll finish our history story coming up. This is the Jesse Kelly Show. Like a stain on your brain, you can't get out. DoctorsTrustedCBD.com While we talk, while I go through all this, I want you to go and just look. I'm not even telling you to go buy something right now. Go look around. You see, natural medicines, holistic healing approaches, these things are known to alleviate things like joint pain, Got any of that as you get older? Sleeplessness? Anxiety? I know there's a ton of that right now. I choose CBD. But what you might not realize is there's a lot of it. There are a lot of options out there. And doctors trusted CBD. They have the best selection I've ever seen. And they did all the research, so they have all the best CBD. Go to doctorstrustedcbd.com. That's DoctorsTrustedCBD.com. Use the promo code JESSE. That gets you free shipping and 10% off. Jesse Kelly returns next. The Christian versus Muslim thing was palpable. And the Ottomans were not exactly sitting back on their heels. The Europeans didn't either, but the Ottomans were constantly prepping invasions. They wanted to see, as all empires do, just how fast and far can we go here. Remember, we're going to talk about the death of standards today. It's going to be cool. Ooh, and the death of cable news. There's a lot of death today, Chris. It's very dark. <laughs> All right, back to Vlad the Impaler. Vlad is now a hostage at the age of 13. He and his brother Radul are a hostage of the Ottoman Empire. Remember, Vlad has been raised Christian. His father was called Vlad Dracul, Vlad the Dragon, because he was in a member of the Order of the Dragon. The Order of the Dragon was a Christian group to fight off Muslims. Vlad has been raised to be a Christian and a sword in your hand against the threat of Islam, Christian. That's the kind of world we're talking about here. Probably different than the one you've grown up in, but that's what Vlad grew up in. Now he finds himself in the Sultan's court. 
Remember, though, hostage is a strong way to put it. He is given all kinds of schooling. He's taught military tactics. He is he's taught by philosophers. He and his brother, they eat well. They, they're dressed well. These guys are not suffering. But Vlad is suffering a bit more than his brother. You see, his brother Radul is a famously handsome human being, although we don't know what he looks like. They all talk about how handsome he was. And his brother Radul, very early on, personalities are just different. Who knows the reasons? His brother Radul decided he was going to be a good boy and get along well with everybody. The Sultan, the Sultan's son, who's going to take over. We'll get to him in a minute. He's just there. He's going along. Hey, I like this Islam thing. I think I'll convert. He is going all in. Vlad, ah, not so much. Vlad does not want to convert, is not going to convert. He does not want to be there. He despises the Ottomans. He wants to be back there helping his father and brother. He hates everything, and he's always rebelling, and he's getting whipped all the time for rebelling. On top of getting whipped for rebelling, he's witnessing how the Ottomans administered justice back in the day. This is a brutal time period. This wasn't unique to the Ottoman Empire. But let's just say I need to call my lawyer was not something you heard often when you got arrested back then. It's more like, please don't pull out all my fingernails and burn me alive. And Vlad, as a young man, is witnessing this. Then they get a phone call. It's not a phone call. It's the 1400s. But for effect, they get a phone call one day. Ring, 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 ring. Vlad, you remember that father you had and the brother you love that were back in Wallachia? They're dead now. Those boyars, the nobles we've talked about before, you see the country had very powerful nobles who were always tossing out the king. Yeah, they took your father and they killed him and they took your older brother you loved and they buried him alive, face down. And they did so with the help of the Ottomans who you're currently a hostage of. This apparently, from what we know, broke Vlad. I, I Broke maybe a strong way to put it. This altered the rest of his life. Vlad is now a man on a mission. So, father dies, brother's dead. The Sultan, he gets a knock on the door. It's Vlad. Vlad walks in and says, I know you want your man on the throne over there in Wallachia. I can do that. Give me some backing and I'll go take the throne. The Sultan knows Vlad hates him, but also thinks it's better to have our guy on our side. And he knows Vlad is very capable. Let's be clear about something. He's proven himself with all of his training to be the capable brother. This dude is a beast. Very capable militarily, personally with a sword. Vlad killed several people himself in battle. He was apparently short and built like a brick house and frightening to look at. You can see paintings of him. He was in prison later on. We'll get to that in a minute. He was in prison later on where they went and painted him ugly as sin and really terrifying. Everybody talked about how scary the guy was. Vlad takes off, goes back, gets the throne. 
I'm skipping over a quite a few things here for effect. He actually loses the throne because of the Boyers again, has to escape, rallies, turns around and comes back and takes it again. And I just jumped over like a two-year period of time for the interest of time because let's get to Vlad's second rule for a moment. You see, Vlad steps into power He has seen his father killed. He's seen the brother who he loved buried alive. He's seen his own power taken away. And he's seen all of these things done at the hands of the Ottomans and the hands of the boyars, the nobles in his own country. And Vlad looks around and says to himself, you know, let's go ahead and take care of this problem. Vlad sends out invitations to a banquet. Who doesn't love a banquet? Vlad invites the 200 boyars and their wives who he blames for killing his father and killing his brother. And to get himself motivated for said banquet, Vlad locates where they buried his brother and digs him up and sees the body buried face down where he was buried alive. Now he's uniquely motivated to have this banquet. And at this banquet, this is a a cunning individual. He is handing out the food. He's handing out the drinks. These are nobles. They're used to the best, and Vlad gives them the best. And with a smile on his face, completely cheery, he starts making conversation with them. He starts asking them things like, how many rulers have you had here? And the boyers all get a good laugh about it. Oh, we've had so many. They come and they go. And Vlad's all, oh, oh, yeah, they do. They come and they go, don't they? Now, Okay. Vlad gives the signal. His troops storm into the room. He gathers up all the boyars and their wives. These are the most powerful people in Wallachia. He takes the older ones outside, makes everybody watch as he impales them. He wasn't called Vlad the Impaler for nothing. Would you like to know how people were impaled back in the day. There's one of two ways. Vlad's preferred method was, of course, the worst one. You could either stab someone in the stomach and it would come out their back. I need to stress the stake, the long wooden stake they impale people on was not sharp. It was intentionally dull. They didn't want you to die right away. They wanted you to wiggle around on that stake like a worm on a hook for sometimes days suffering. They even greased the pole first. And what I just described to you is actually the more pleasant of the two ways people were impaled. The second way was, again, dull wooden stick, greased wooden stick, a incision was made, Right in between where you go number one and number two, stake placed, stake pounded in with a hammer, and then stake lifted up high so you can slowly work your way down. And if you thought that was the worst thing Vlad did, we haven't even begun yet. 
All right, we're going to talk about Trump doing something too little too late. Hang on. You're never completely ready to adopt a teen. For late nights writing English papers. For your teen's music taste. For dinners, where they talk more on their phone than with you. For the first time, they call you mom. You're never completely ready to adopt a teen, and you can't imagine the reward. To learn more about adopting a teen, visit AdoptUSKids.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Adopt US Kids, and the Ad Council. Part-time job, full-time hustle, all-time Shiro to all of us. You nurture, we listen. You teach, we thrive. You lift our spirits, but we've got to lay down the truth. It's time for you, our Shiro, to stretch for the stars. Start saving more for retirement now so you can feel prepared and live your life to the fullest. Get free tips to help boost your retirement savings now at aceyourretirement.org slash Shiro. A message brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Remember, we still have the death of cable news coming up in the show about an hour from now. We're going to talk to Amber Athey about that. Talk about the public health. But first, you see, I, I told you it was only the older people after that banquet. Vlad, he had a banquet. All the nobles who'd screwed his father and brother over and killed them came, and their wives. Vlad took the older, the infirm, out and impaled them. He took all the younger ones out to the country and worked them to death. What were they doing as he worked them to death? They were building castles and fortresses. Vlad was not allowed by the Ottomans to build castles and fortresses. The Ottomans wanted to make sure Wallachia was just a nice superhighway for them when they came through. Vlad had no intention of doing as he was told, especially by the Ottomans. And let me be clear, Vlad had maybe, maybe, Twenty to 30,000 troops at his disposal. The Ottomans had hundreds of thousands of troops at their disposal. Vlad Wallachia was a second-rate, third-rate country with no business poking the Ottoman Empire in the ribs. However, when you're Vlad the freaking Impaler, you poke anybody in the ribs you want to. Vlad was, well... Let's get to the interesting parts and get to the really cruel parts. You see, Vlad, he ran perhaps the most aggressive clean up the homelessness from the streets campaign in the history of mankind. Vlad was an obsessively, I don't know if you want to call him moral, but he's one of these dudes that had a strict moral code, and if you didn't adhere to it, you died. And he thought homeless people were lazy, and he hated laziness. So remember the banquet we just had? P. 
apparently you don't want to accept those invitations. Vlad invites all the beggars in Wallachia because he hated seeing them on the streets, thought they were lazy, thought they brought everyone down. He thought they were thieves. He called them thieves. He's like, they slowly drain your money over time. He thought that a street robber with a knife to your throat was less evil than these people. Gathers them all for a banquet, feeds them, gets them hammer-housed drunk, then has all his men leave, seals the door, and burns the building to the ground with all the homeless people in Wallachia inside. Not exactly a high point morally for his rule. Did clean up the streets, though. And he would do things like this often. He would dress in disguise and go walk amongst the peasants to see if they were being moral. If they weren't, you're going to die. He had a Venetian merchant come through from out of town one time. Venetian merchant has a wagon full of valuables and gold. Merchant comes up to Vlad, goes and gets a visit with him, says, Vlad, I have this wagon, all these goods, all this gold. Uh, Somebody's going to steal something. What should I do with this thing? Vlad says, oh, just leave it right in the town square. It'll be fine. Merchant goes home, crashes out for the night, wakes up the next morning, goes down to his cart and finds there are gold pieces missing. We'll call them 100 because I don't have the exact number. 100 gold pieces missing. Goes to Vlad and says, hey, buddy, somebody stole my gold pieces. There were a hundred of them. Vlad says, oh, don't worry. We're going to find the guy who did that. In the meantime, Vlad has 101 gold pieces returned to the Venetian merchant's wagon. Venetian merchant goes back to his wagon, counts the gold, sees there's an extra gold piece in there, and goes back to Vlad. As he gets to Vlad, Vlad has already found the thief, and he's beginning the process of driving a wooden stake into his tukas. The merchant says, uh, I hate to interrupt, Vlad, but you did give me an extra gold piece. And Vlad said, yeah, I did that on purpose. If you hadn't brought me back that extra gold piece, you'd be impaled right beside him. Dude was a beast. Mehmet II is now the Sultan of the Ottoman Empire. He wants to make sure Vlad is on his side, wants to make sure Vlad is paying homage. So Mehmet II, I can't stress this enough, the most powerful man on the planet with the most powerful army on the planet that borders Vlad's empire, where he doesn't have an army like that, Mehmet II sends a sends an email to, to Vlad, a 1400s version of an email, saying, come see me now. You need to pay tribute. Vlad writes back, I don't think I will, actually. No, thank you. Mehmet II, not a man used to being refused, then sends emissaries to Vlad. Now, these emissaries are Muslims. They're wearing turbans on their head. They come in and see Vlad in Vlad's court. Vlad says, take off your turbans. You're in my court. What are you doing? Take off your turbans. The Ottoman emissaries say it's not our tradition. Our, our, Our customs say we leave our turbans on. Vlad says, okay, you know what? Leave your turbans on. 
tells his men, go get some hammers and nails. He surrounds the emissaries, holds them down, and nails their turbans into their skulls so they stay there permanently. Well, Mehmet II is not exactly a man you want to do that kind of thing to. So Mehmet II decides, oh, all right, we've, I've, I've, I've put up with this guy for long enough. Let's smack him down. But remember this. Remember, wars then and now are expensive. They take time. You have to mobilize people here and mobilize people there. Supply is very difficult, especially back at this point in time. Could Mehmet II get his whole army up there and squash all of Wallachia like a bug? No question about it. But Mehmet II is wanting to invade Hungary, a major empire in all of Europe. He doesn't want to take time out of his day to go invade Wallachia. It's just a smaller empire anyway, just a tiny little country. So instead, he sends some of his elite advanced cavalry, a big bunch of them, and says, go get this freaking Vlad and kill him, and we'll just put our guy in there so we can walk through. Cavalry guy says, no problem. We've got it covered, except there is a problem. Vlad the Impaler was much more than just cruel and a bit aggressively anti-homeless. Vlad the Impaler was an outstanding military tactician, personally himself absurdly brave. Vlad also knew Wallachia like the back of his hand, and the Ottomans didn't. Vlad gets this fancy-schmancy Ottoman cavalry into a tiny, tiny mountain pass where they got trapped, and he slaughters them all. And not only does he slaughter them all, He impales them all and impales their commander on the highest stake there is as a message to the Ottomans. Feel free to keep bringing it. I haven't run out of poles yet. Now Mehmet II is upset. Upset is really, really putting it mildly. Mehmet II is going to give his full attention to this upstart in Wallachia. All right, the death of standards, and we'll wrap up our Vlad the Impaler story here. Hang on. Is he smarter than everyone? Who knows? Does he think so? Yeah. The Jesse Kelly Show. One in three adults has prediabetes. One in three. That means it could be you, your football buddy, your football buddy, or you, your best man, your worst man, you, your dog walker, your cat jogger. While one in three adults has prediabetes, with early diagnosis, prediabetes can be reversed. Take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. That's doihaveprediabetes.org. 
Wait, did they just say one in three adults has pre-diabetes? That's 33.33333% of adults. That means it could be me, my boss, or my boss's boss, or me, my favorite sister, or my other sister. That's seven members of my 21-person romantic book club. <gasps> Wait, the one in three could be me, my karaoke partner Carol, or ugh, my karaoke enemy Jeff. I'm going to take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. Mehmet II is not going to sit by and watch his cavalry get slaughtered and his men impaled, and he is now focusing on Wallachia, and he marches his army right up to the Danube River. Danube River is the border between Wallachia and the Ottoman Empire. Vlad is not the type to sit back and just wait. Vlad knows he in no way has a chance against an army this size. So he's going to go ahead and kill as many Turks as he can possibly kill before they kill him. Vlad takes his small force and Vlad attacks across the Danube. He goes after them and he doesn't go after them like an idiot, just riding headlong screaming. You see, Vlad, let's not forget where Vlad was raised. Vlad spent much of his childhood in the presence of the Ottoman Turks. He spoke the language fluently. Vlad would routinely, himself, not someone else, himself, dress up like a Turk and sneak into camps and then let his men get into camps, poisoning water supplies, murdering people, completely guerrilla tactics, flat-out terrorism. He would kill camp helpers. He would kill soldiers. He would kill leaders. He would kill horses. He killed everything. Absolutely hit and run. Mehmet II is losing his mind at this point in time. He cannot find him. He cannot figure out where this guy is. And then Vlad, because he's Vlad the freaking Impaler, Decides he's going to go do the same thing to his own people. Allow me to explain. He crosses back over the Danube and runs his own people out of their homes and their farms so he can do a scorched earth policy of burning the ground to make sure when the Ottomans do cross, there's no supplies for them. So Vlad burns down and cuts down all the trees. He poisons all the water in his own country. And it works. Mehmet II crosses the Danube and his guys are dying of thirst because they can't find water that Vlad hasn't poisoned. Oh, but wait. Are you ready for the coolest part before we wrap this up? Mehmet II's men are hungry. They're thirsty. This has been miserable. It should have been easy. But this human nightmare has made life a living hell on the powerful Ottoman Turks Nevertheless, they start riding towards the capital of Wallachia. And what do they see ahead? What is that? That's a weird-looking forest. It looks 
It looks awfully organized. That doesn't look natural because they saw it from a distance. As they got closer and closer, the entire Ottoman army, including Mehmet, began to be horrified. You see what they found as they got closer was Vlad had earned that nickname, the Impaler. He had taken 20 to 30,000 Turks he had captured and he had impaled them in a semicircle forest. He had everything else cut down so the Ottoman army was now marching through a forest of impaled countrymen of their own. That's something worse than any horror movie could ever produce, ever. Oh, don't get me wrong. The Ottoman Empire still went in and won right after Mehmet II rode through this forest of dead Ottoman Turks. He decided this whole conquest thing wasn't really for him this time, and he turned around and went home. Vlad ends up retreating, escaping, gets arrested and hungry for 10 years. That's why we have the pictures. Gets the throne back again. And then in the end, in the end, does get beheaded by the Ottomans. His head preserved in honey. He is still famously, well, he's a hero. To this day in that part of the world, he is a hero. Sometimes, all the time actually, but history, it tells us the choices people make. It's not just that Vlad is a hero in that part of the world today. All of Europe practically worshipped him because there was this big, scary Muslim empire coming to kill them all, and all of a sudden you have this dude giving it to them, making their life miserable. He was the hero of Christian Christian Europe. You see, people talk about, I don't want to be anti this. I want to stand for something, not against something. You'll, you'll hear that a lot. That's fine. I get that. But it's important that everybody understands something about the population of America right now what they're facing, and what they're going to choose. Hang on a sec, I'll tell you what it is. Wake up and text. Text and eat. Mm -mm. Text and catch the bus. Text and miss your stop. Wait, 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 wait. Text and be late to work. Sorry, I'm late. Text and work. Text and pretend to work. Text and act surprised when someone calls you out for not working. <clears throat> Who, me? Text and meet up with a friend you haven't seen in forever. Hi. Oh, hey. Text and complain that they're on their phone the whole time. <sighs> Text and listen to them complain that you're on your phone the whole time. Ugh. Text and whatever. But when you get behind the wheel, 
Give your phone to a passenger. Put it in the glove box. Just don't text and drive. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A public service announcement brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. This is a memo, not only to the left in today's America, this is a memo to the GOP in today's America, a memo to the pundits, a memo to everybody, because what I'm about to tell you is an absolute fact. And I just want to make sure I'm perfectly clear about this. I'm not cheering for what I'm about to tell you. There are several realities of life I acknowledge that I don't love. However, what I'm telling you is true. And you know how I know it's true? Because the history of the world tells me it's true. All of Christian Europe looking at Vlad the Impaler burning homeless people alive and saying to themselves, that dude is my guy. What should that tell you? about Americans in 2020? I'll tell you in just a second. Kelly show on the Jordan Harbinger show. You'll hear amazing stories from people that have lived them from spies to CEOs, even an undercover agent who infiltrated the Gambino crime family. You're about to hear a preview of the Jordan Harbinger show with Jack Garcia, who did just that. My career was 24 out of 26 years was solely dedicated working on the cover. I walk in, I'm in the bar. Now there's a barmaid there, good looking young lady. She's serving me drink. Hey, what would you like? I usually, my drink was, give me a kettle, one martini, three olives, glass of water on the side. I finish the drink. The guys come in. I'm going to go, go in my pocket, take out the big wad of money. Bam, I give her $100. If you're with the mob, I say, hey, Jordan, you're on record with us. That means we protect you. Nobody could shake you down. We could shake you down, but you're on record with us. For more on how Jack became so trusted in the highest levels of the Gambino organization, check out episode 392 of The Jordan Harbinger Show. I'm Saleha Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. 
We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.